It's good to be with you all. Pastor Paul is uh, away on vacation, and so I have the privilege of bringing the word this morning and always thankful for that opportunity. Um, And I want to start off by uh, sharing a little bit about a series that we did with the youth group back in the fall. And the title of that series was The Gospel and Culture. And actually, we did it with just the high school. The middle school is doing a different series. And throughout that series, uh, we looked at a lot of different topics with the intention and view towards how do we view these topics through the lens of the gospel. So we discussed uh, things like the gospel and abortion, uh, the gospel and social justice, the gospel and racism, uh, and a number of other topics with the point of, you know, these are, these are things being talked about a lot in our culture. And so how do we as Christians view these things? And does Christianity, does Jesus, does the Bible actually have anything to say about these different topics? And, uh, and obviously it does, and we had a very fruitful discussion on all those things. Uh, but one of the, the topics that we discussed is the gospel and our language. The gospel and our language. And uh, that was a, a very interesting discussion. Um, it, I think it was very fruitful just for us to get to think about um, our words, how we speak, the kind of words that we use. And you guys have probably heard the proverbial saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? That is like American proverbial gold right there. And is probably the most false proverb that's ever been spoken by any culture in the history of human existence, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names or words will never hurt me. And we all know from personal experience, in fact, you could probably think of right now, uh, a word that was said to you, or words that were said to you, or a name that you were called, probably in middle school, at some point, which is why no one really wants to ever relive middle school. Uh, maybe the couple of us are out there, because it can be a difficult time. But words matter. Our words matter. And uh, last week, as Pastor Paul was preaching uh, from the book of James, which we are going to continue uh, in the book of James, so if you want to turn to James chapter 1 today, uh, the title of his message was, Don't Get the Wrong Idea About God's Word. And then as soon as I saw that title, I said, I know exactly what my title is for my sermon next week. Last week, we talked about, don't get the wrong idea about God's Word. Today, we're going to talk about, don't get the wrong idea about your words. Don't get the wrong idea about your words. And there's a really powerful proverb, Proverbs 18.21, that we looked at Uh, during our gospel and uh, language study, and it says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, don't get the wrong idea about your words. 
And James uh, actually spends a lot of time throughout his book talking about our words. Now, when I asked Pastor Paul, you know, what topics do you have left? And he brought this one up. This is the one I want to talk about. And I was like, all right, this is going to be easy. I know James talks about it in chapter one. He kind of, you know, gives that initial uh, introduction to the theme. And then chapter three talks a lot about it. And those are the main passages. Well, then I realized pretty much the whole book throughout it, he keeps bringing up our words, how we speak. When we pray, uh, let your yes be yes, your no be no, these kind of things. And so we can't possibly uh, talk about everything that James has to say about our words, uh, but we're going to start off looking at James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and then we're going to jump down to verse 26, and then we'll go from there. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to become angry. For human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, put away all moral filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with humility, with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then jump down to verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious... And does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And this person's religion is worthless. So, as usual, uh, James pulls no punches uh, when he's talking about this specific theme of our words. And right here, we get a nice little outline for our time this morning. And we're going to look at these three different points quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. So everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So we're going to look at each one in turn and kind of dig into it a little more. So first, everyone should be quick to listen. What is James getting at here? Why is this the, the first in the series of commands? Well, he's encouraging us to be reflexive listeners, as I I thought about. We should be reflexive listeners. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, whenever you, uh, you know, go to the doctor and you have to, you know, they do all the examinations and you sit up and then you have to make sure your your leg is uh, hanging and so they, you know, they hit your knee to make sure your, your reflex is, you know, within a reasonable range or if there is any at all. And hopefully you don't have like a super delayed reflex that when you're driving home, your leg starts, you know, freaking out as you're, as you're driving. Um, but they're, they're testing your, your reflexes, right? And so as I think about this, most of us are not reflexive listeners. It's not our natural uh, instinct to really tune in and listen to someone. To listen to what's going on. And I think a reason why is we all, to some level, have a sense of insecurity or inadequacy, which at times uh, we have to prove ourselves by multiplying our words. We have to get the first word in to show that we know what we're talking about, or we have to get the last word in, or we have to one-up. It was interesting during uh, VBS, during some of the Bible times, uh, you know, there would be a question, and one of the kids would, would share, 
and then his buddy next to him and say, oh, yeah, uh, I had the same thing happen, but, you know, kind of one-upping them, right? Uh, the one was, you know, say someone lived in Chicago and went all the way to uh, Cal- or North Carolina. Like, that'd be a long way to travel to visit someone. And then the kid said, yeah, what about if they lived in Australia, and went to North Carolina. And then I couldn't help myself, even though I wasn't teaching, I was in the back. I said, what if they lived on Mars and then went to North Carolina? That'd be a really far way. So there is this kind of, I'm going to show that I am superior to, or I'm going to build myself up, uh, rather than not speaking, but, but listening. This isn't our natural instinct. And there's another proverb. Proverbs 17, 28 says this, even a fool who keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. And you, you, it's no wonder that people think of James as being almost wisdom literature because a lot of stuff he talks about uh, comes up in the book of Proverbs, as I've already shared too so far, and we'll probably hear some more from it throughout our time. But even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Now, have you ever felt like you haven't been listened to? Have you felt like you've been saying something, you're talking to someone, and they're not really there? They're there, but they really aren't there. And there's, I'll, I'll say there's a difference between listening versus hearing. And I think this will help us. I've thought about it this way. Hearing is really a passive thing right right now I hear there's I hear the AC blowing behind me Um, I hear people dropping pencils you know these kind of things Uh, we just kind of pick up noise and there's times where we can hear what someone says without actually listening to them and actually I think this is what James is getting at uh, whenever he says you know when someone looks in the mirror or looks at, looks at the Word of God and then forgets what it says, is like someone who looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like, right? That they're not actually intentionally listening to the Word of God. And so we've maybe all experienced this, you know, not being listened to. Whereas listening, hearing is passive. Listening is an active thing. Now you can come to church every week and you can hear the words that we're singing you can hear the sermon, but are you actively engaged? Are you actively listening to the words that are being spoken? There's an active engagement here. And, you know, you might say, well, didn't Jesus say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear? Doesn't that contradict what you just said? Well, I guess it could be translated, whoever has ears to listen, let them listen. But his point he's getting at is, what I just said was very important and it was often in parables And so it was kind of veiled, the understanding of what he was actually talking about. And he says, so whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them be actively engaged, actively listening and wrestling with what I'm talking about. Now, speaking of hearing, in our culture, there's a lot of noise that we hear. There's always something, there's more information, there's always a some sort of machine running, there's a car driving by, there's music playing, there's a podcast on. And do you ever just long for the noise to stop? 
Does your soul long to just experience true silence? You know, for me, one of the, the things that kind of is a warning sign that I'm starting to uh, maybe get disconnected from God some is if I'm always having to have something playing. So as soon as I get in the car, I put a podcast on. Or if I'm walking around the church and I have to turn on a podcast or I have to be listening to music. Now, I'm not saying these things are inherently bad. What I'm saying is we live in a culture where we're so used to there constantly be something playing, some sound that we're hearing, that we don't actually experience true silence. And maybe a lot of us avoid it because, as, as one uh, famous Christian said, you know, whenever we're silent, then we realize it's just us and God. And we have to, to face this omnipotent, powerful being. Even as Christians, you know, this can be scary for us. So if you long for this, there, there's, throughout Christian history, there's been different spiritual disciplines that are practiced. And, you know, one of them, obviously, reading the Bible prayer, worship, confession, but another one is silence. And even some monks would go as far as take a vow of silence for their entire lives. So I'm not saying you have to go that far, um, but something that I've been trying to do, I've been trying to be more disciplined in my Christian life. Because if you think about it, a disciple without disciplines is a contradiction. They come from the same word. A, A disciple without disciplines is a contradiction. And so I'm trying to be intentional about setting aside time in my life to be, to be quick to listen, to be silent, because it's easy to talk. It's easy to multiply words, especially when you're preaching. Some of you are like, yeah, maybe you should practice what you preach and uh, limit the number of words this morning, right? So silence helps us because we practice listening to God in prayer. And this is a hard thing to do because a lot of times when we come to God in prayer, we immediately start spouting off uh, everything. And again, I don't want to go to the other extreme and say we shouldn't bring those things that are on our heart to God. But if we practice coming to the Lord in silence first and foremost and just being present with him, that can actually shape our prayers to be more in line with his will and the things that he wants us to talk to him about. And then as we begin to practice silence, and we're quick to listen to God through his word, through prayer, these different kind of things, then when we're with people, we can truly practice being present. We can be quick to listen to them. We can be silent and hear them. During our youth Sunday school the past month, we've been doing a series on evangelism, and something that I've been saying is, you know, a lot of times when we're sharing our faith, uh, we immediately want to get to, you know, sharing the gospel and about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And, you know, that's a very good thing for us to want to do that. And yet, it may be more effective to spend our time listening. The power of asking questions, to find out where are people at on their spiritual journey? Where, what are the burdens, the things that they're carrying in their life? And as I listen to someone... As I ask questions, I'm showing them that I care about them, and I have a better idea of how I can effectively minister to this person because I'm getting a better idea of where they are currently at on their spiritual journey. It shows you're interested, and it enables us to do more effective ministry. So, this is why James's first command in this series is to be quick 
to listen. Next, he says, everyone should be slow to speak. Everyone should be slow to speak. Now, why is this so important? Well, we'll see in a minute or two. It's because when we are not slow to speak, when we don't control our tongues, we have the wrong idea about our religion. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains their lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains their lips is prudent. So, you think you're religious? James says, how much control do you have over your words? If you think you're a good person, if you think you're a godly person, if you think you're living the Christian life... How much control do you have over your words? In James 1.26, he says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. We all have a tendency to deceive ourselves. And James says this is especially true when it comes to our words and our religion because if our words are running amok, running wild, then our religion is, is worthless. It shows truly where we're at spiritually. And this is, well, we'll see later why this is such a big deal. So he's saying they have the wrong idea about their religion and their words. And then in chapter 3, I want us to read this section on how destructive the tongue, our words, can truly be. Because James really lays this out in uh, a lot of different ways. So, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we also who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. But if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, sustaining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. So James gives a ton of illustrations here of the power of the tongue. And he gives three in particular related to how something so small can infect, uh, can affect the, something so large. He uses uh, a bit in the horse's mouth, 
And then he uses the rudder of a ship and also uh, a small fire or a spark that sets ablaze a forest fire. And uh, we don't have time to kind of hit on all of them, so I want to talk about the fire. I remember it was my sophomore year at Tacoa Falls College. Uh, I was at church, and as I was coming out of the doors after the service, I looked around, and there was like this haze. And I was like, this is a weird fog. And I, then I smelled smoke, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? I had never experienced this before. And then I eventually heard that there was a forest fire going on. And I think it was, might have been, it might have been North Carolina. I was like, those North Carolinians sending their smoke down to Georgia. Well, as probably most of you know, um, we experienced smoke from forest fires here down in North Carolina recently. And uh, when I came out of the church one day, I was like, it looks weird outside. And I was like, ah, I know this. This is a forest fire. So what I did was I started looking up, I literally started looking up, uh, forest fires in North Carolina. And nothing was coming up. There was stuff coming up from like 2021. I was like, I'm like, I know there's a forest fire in North Carolina. I see the smoke around me. But as we all come to find out, this smoke was from Canada. We're not close from, to Canada. For those who don't know geography, we're not close. And so this blew my mind. I mean, the smoke from the forest fires in Canada, by the way, it's not just one forest fire. There's like pretty much always forest fires in Canada. There's over 500 right now. And over half of them are deemed out of control. But this smoke, not only did it come all the way down to North Carolina, like a thousand miles away, from NASA, they could see the smoke starting to go over Europe, over 2,000 miles away. And as I thought about this, I'm like, this is the point that James is getting at with the tongue. Something so small can set the course of one's whole life on fire. A lot of the, the forest fires in Canada are started by lightning strikes. Some of them are human-caused, but a lot of them are caused by lightning strikes. But whatever it is, whether it's a strike of lightning, whether it's a human-made fire, one little spark sets ablaze a whole forest. And the ripple effects, the smoke, go way farther than anyone thought possible. And this is what James is getting at when he talks about the power of our words. That a careless word, an angry word, an insulting word has ripple effects far beyond what we ever thought possible. Now, the good news is, is whenever we speak words of encouragement, of life, when we speak kind words to others, we have no idea the ripple effects, how far that smoke will blow in someone's life or to other people's lives or into generations, into the future. We have no idea. But the point is, the tongue is powerful. The, our words are powerful. Do not get the wrong idea about your words. Have your words ever caused a forest fire? Or have words spoken about you caused a forest fire in your life? It can, he says it can set the whole course of one's life on fire and will ultimately our words will be judged by the fire of hell, he says. These are strong, strong words. So don't get the wrong idea about your words. And this is why James urges us, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak because your words will ripple. 
the effects will ripple far beyond what you ever thought possible. Which brings us to the third point. He says, everyone should be slow to become angry. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we all, this is, we all know this is obvious. That as our anger level increases, our self-control decreases. Especially when it comes to our words and our language. And people respond differently when it comes to their anger. And there's really, as I see it, two, two ways. Uh, some of us blow up and some of us bottle up, right? Some of us blow up and some of us bottle up. For those of us who blow up, uh, our anger, we can't help, it just starts to fly from us, especially with our words. And maybe the decibel level of our words, that things get loud. Now, that's not me. I'm not that kind of guy. But the problem was, is I thought I, was, I, thought I didn't have issues with anger because I didn't blow up. But I learned in my life to bottle it up which is just as destructive. Because, first of all, eventually, uh, the cap is going to fly off the bottle, and it simmers, it stews, you become bitter, and you start making up scenarios in your head. Like, I've literally chewed people out in my head, like, and I realized I was getting, like, I was, like, almost starting to sweat because I was having this conversation in my head. I had so much anger that I was, and I was giving it to him. It was good. And I realize I'm like, I was caught up in this imaginary conversation for like the past five minutes and was totally out of touch with reality. But we all, we all respond to anger differently. We, we either let it go or put it down, but eventually it'll come out in different ways. Now, I have to say, anger is not inherently bad. And this is something that I had to learn as well. Anger is not inherently bad because in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 26, 27, Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Or really, it says, Be angry and don't sin. And do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So anger is not inherently bad, but it's how you respond to your anger, how you respond with your anger. And James He goes on to say, the reason why we should be slow to anger is because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There are some things in this life that should make us as Christians angry. An indignation, a righteous anger. I mean, Jesus himself went and flipped tables in the temple because they turned his father's house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, into a den of robbers into a marketplace. And so, you know, you know, skeptics of Christianity say, see, Jesus wasn't sinless. But it's like, this is so obviously false. This was a righteous indignation that Jesus was showing for the sake and love of his Father. And so, it's how we respond to our human anger. Now, Pastor Paul, he mentioned uh, last week that there are a lot of parallels between the book of James and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Jesus says uh, about 
anger in our words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. He says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. So we thought James had strong words. I think Jesus even takes it another notch up. Now, the question might be, why is this such a big deal? What's the big deal about these words? Yeah, I mean, I may hurt somebody, but why is, this, why is Jesus giving such strong words on this? Well, in Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees are getting on to Jesus' disciples uh, because they didn't wash their hands before they eat before they ate. And some of you parents are like, well, I mean, they probably should have, you know. But the point they were getting is this was a tradition of the elders for them to be uh, ritually clean before they ate food. And Jesus' response is this. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but rather it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. The words that you speak and ultimately the real issue is, is that the mouth shows the overflow of what's in the heart. What is in the heart will eventually spill out of the mouth, whether evil or good. And this is why Jesus and James say, do, do not get the wrong idea about your words. And James actually points out the contradiction in our word use. He says, on the one hand, we bless God, and on the one hand, we curse others who are image bearers of God. So, really, with the same mouth, we bless God and we curse God. And I love what he says. This should not be. This should not be. And he illustrates it. Can fresh and salt water come from the same spring? Can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? No, this should not be. And yet, the reality is, every single person in this room, and outside of this room for that matter, and that's ever existed, and that will, beyond all the other things that we have done in our lives that have condemned us, we have all condemned ourselves with our words. None of us, none of us has tamed our tongue perfectly in our lives. And so, what do we do with this? We've condemned ourselves. Well, our words are powerful, but fortunately, God's word is infinitely powerful. Now, when I say God's word, yes, I'm referring to the Bible, but even more so, I'm referring to the word with a capital W that John talks about in the beginning of his gospel, where he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he goes on to say that through this word, God brought the universe into existence and created life. I mean, we know how Genesis start. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the word was powerful, Jesus, the ultimate word. But, but get this, this same word who came full of grace and truth experience the poison of the tongue that James talked about. That he was 
mocked with the words of man. He was scorned with the words of man, maligned, slandered, gossiped about on our behalf, which is incredible. I, I try to talk to the, the kids at VBS and also youth about this. Is if you've ever been bullied, if anyone's ever spoken words of gossip or slander, insult towards you, Jesus literally knows what you're going through. And in fact, he experienced it to a level none of us could ever know. And yet, in the midst of all that, in the midst of all of these words that came against him, he was silent. He did not answer in anger. He heard the words of death, crucify him. And then he spoke the words of completion, it is finished. And then it was spoken of him, the words of victory, he is risen. Now talk about the ripple effects, the power of words. Those three words, he is risen, are the whole reason why we're even here. If Jesus is not risen, even the Apostle Paul says, we're wasting our time. Just go to lunch. Don't, don't be involved. Your, your faith is futile. But Jesus, the word, the ultimate word, is risen. And so every empty, careless, poisonous, deceitful word that you've spoken has been paid for by the ultimate word. And now, if we've repented and put your faith in him, as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who can then empower you to use your words to give life, to encourage those who are discouraged, to give hope to those who are hopeless, to give words of freedom and liberty to those who are in bondage. To give words of challenge to those who are complacent even. Don't get the wrong idea about your words. And Christians, even as we continue to grow in this life and we misuse our words, thank God for the gift of repentance. As I've grown in my walk, especially in this last year, I found that I repent a lot more often because God is getting down to the deep roots in my heart from which all this sin in my life flows. And so take advantage of the gift of repentance. I have a friend who says, you know, I used to, when I would sin, I would run and I would hide from God for days and then eventually come back to him. Now when I sin, I'd run right to him because he's the only one that can help me and give restoration and healing from this. So now we can speak words of life to those who are spiritually dead. We can bless God and bless others. We don't have to live a double life. We don't have to be double-tongued, blessing God and cursing others. And this is a hard thing. I guarantee you today, because we just talked about this for 30 or so minutes, that you're going to be challenged. A time's going to come up where you're going to be like, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry to speak life. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So don't get the wrong idea about your words. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So, 
Will your words be the fruit of life or the fruit of death? Let's pray.